so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church and when they came to him he said to them take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by so toiling one must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had spoken thus, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Peace be with you, the reader. lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. And now, Father, you glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, 
and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words which you gave me, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you did send me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are mine, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. the good tidings unto all the people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I want to start out this morning by sharing with you a couple of passages from Scripture. One of them is from the epistle reading today, the Acts of the Apostles. And the other one is not from the Gospel reading, but actually from the Gospel of St. Matthew. But they coincide with one another, and it's going to sort of set a a foundation here for what I want to share with you. So in the Epistle reading this morning, about midway through, we hear St. Paul saying, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood of his own son. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. One thing I wanted to uh, mention here quickly is that the word flock in the context of what I want to speak to you about this morning, is not just the body of Christ in totality, the church, but also the flock which we would consider local, like the community here. And then thirdly, the flock of the family. So both the church as a whole, and then the local church, and then the small church, the home. The second passage, as I mentioned from Matthew, speaks really to what St. Paul is warning us of. And this is one of our Lord's great promises. He says in the Gospel of Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So on the one hand, we have this teaching of St. Paul who's warning us that fierce wolves will come among you and will invade the church and will spread false teachings uh, and will seek to destroy and some of them will each actually come from among your own 
And then on the other hand, we have this promise by our Lord who says that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church, which the fathers of the church pretty unilaterally agree means that the church as a whole will never fall into heresy as a whole. There will be those who rise up, as St. Paul says, but it is impossible that the church would ever err in totality or any way, really, because the Holy Spirit has been sent to the church to teach, to guide, to protect, and to keep that which Christ gave us uh, unadulterated. So it's, it's not without purpose that this epistle reading is also assigned to today because we celebrate the First Ecumenical Council um, that took place in, uh, Constantin- in, uh, in Constantinople in, uh, with 318 fathers of the church attending, many of whom were very famous. And so what we see in this, in this, in this uh, historical event today is actually the uh, fruition of what St. Paul was warning because there was a priest within the church of Christ that began to spread this false teaching uh, about our Lord. And this came about the 4th century, and it arose at a time when the church was now able to really begin to flourish, to begin to express itself liturgically, artistically, architecturally, and to really influence the world uh, through those means. What Arius was teaching, that was contrary to the teaching uh, of the faith, was that Christ was a created being. That he was not consubstantial. He was not of the same essence as God the Father. And it was at the time that uh, Constantine was emperor and he was presiding over these sessions. And it was interesting, one of the comments he made at one of the sessions was, God has helped me cast down the impious might of the persecutors, but more distressful for me than any spilled blood in battle is of a soldier is the internal strife in the church of God, for it is more ruinous. And when I think about that last sentence, that what's more painful and more more frightening to him was these uprisings within the church and the conflict, the strife in between the members of it, which is obviously what he's addressing here with Arius. But we also see this bearing out within our local communities at times, and we certainly see it bearing out even in our own families, where conflict arises in the family life, whether it's between a husband and a wife, or a parent and a child, and that strife begins to to break away, really, the, the, the foundation of the home and the essence there. It begins to rattle and shake the house itself. So at the First Ecumenical Council, the Holy Father set forth and confirmed the apostolic teaching that Christ was indeed consubstantial with the Father and of one essence, and Arius was defeated. And this is just one of many times that the church has been confronted uh, by such a heresy and, and really asked to really eradicate something, something uh, that would be similar to like taking a thorn out of the flesh, or as St. Paul says, to confront fierce wolves. This is one of the reasons why over the centuries the church has not only focused on piety and on prayer, but the church is also focused on pedagogy. And when I speak about pedagogy, I'm not speaking simply about, or even really about literacy, because we can have instruction without the ability to read, thank God. Because we know that for centuries we never had a Bible as a, as a codified book uh, for, for many, many years. And so it would have been uh, the death of the church if people didn't have a copy of the Bible in order to sustain themselves within the life of the church. 
So the church is always focused on prayer and piety, but it is also focused on pedagogy. And often, if not most of the time, this responsibility of instructing the faithful fell upon the priests. And sometimes those who were uh, instructed to be catechists, and they would carry on some of the instruction as well. And one example that we have more recently, when I say recently in the Orthodox Church, you have to understand that that doesn't mean within the last 25 years, right? Recently within the Orthodox Church would be 18th century. And so in the 18th century, we had this beautiful uh, priest monk, this man whose name was Cosmas uh, from uh, Etelos. And this man took it upon himself after he had left his monastic community because he saw the ignorance of the people within the church and he asked for a blessing to travel around Greece and Albania for a period of about 25 years. And he would go around to all of these local villages and towns and even the cities and he would ask that a cross be erected in the town square and then a small box or a bench, something that he could stand on to elevate him above the crowd. And we begin to instruct the faithful about the teachings of our Lord and about the dogmas of the faith. Because he saw that in their ignorance, they were very vulnerable. They were susceptible to anything else that could have come along. And if you've ever sat in a, uh, uh, in a group with teenagers or, or uh, pre-teens, one of the things that always comes up is their interest in knowing more about their faith because in school they, from time to time, get questions about their faith and they feel like they can't have an answer. So they want to know sort of the, uh, uh, the, the quick answers to, to some of the questions that they're given. But there's a hunger and there's a thirst there, and it's important. It's important that they know that. It's important that we know these tenets of our faith. So St. Cosmas went around and he, he began to instruct the faithful, which really led to more piety and it led to a, a, a more of a knowledge not only about God, but of God, as he also spoke about prayer. But perhaps to, uh, next to celebrating the divine services of the church and being a man of prayer himself, the most important role of the priest is that of an educator. And we see this in communities where this is taken seriously, whether it's a combination of uh, well-thought-out homilies, uh, theology, one-on-one classes, uh, bringing in speakers, having bookstores, taking pilgrimages. These are all ways and means by which a priest would lead his flock locally to come to a, a better understanding of the faith and of the love of God. So this is a huge and a very, very important aspect of the priestly ministry, is educating the people in the orthodox way and the love of God. The way that a priest teaches, though, is not always through his words. The way that a priest primarily should teach is by the way he conducts himself day to day in the interactions with his people and in in society as a whole. Because we can say a lot of things from a pulpit, but if our actions and our way of life don't uh, don't follow up with those things that we say, they're not consistent with them, then of course we're going to confuse the flock and we're going to be standing more as as, uh, Pharisees than we are as right believers trying to lead the people towards the kingdom of heaven. But simply to follow rules is not a way of life. In fact, following rules, and the church, the Orthodox Church has lots of rules. And if we get caught or snagged on the rules, then we're going to, we're going to begin to uh, experience lifelessness. There is no life in following rules in a compulsory way. 
These things are only helpful to us when we follow them with our heart because we see them as a means to an end, but not something that we need to hold so tightly onto that it defines who we are as a Christian in the life of the church. So the church has always taken seriously the instruction of the faithful from the ecumenical councils to the teaching, as I said, of the priest. But I think that there's a third and one that is also equally is important and I dare to say more important, but that is the education that a parent gives to their child. No one gets to interact more with a child on a day-to-day basis than a parent. And even if there's a lot of time for formal instruction, if there's not a lot of time for formal instruction, rather, there's always time for godly interaction. And I think sometimes as parents we can also get caught up in a sense on... I need to know my faith in order to teach my faith to my child so that they grow up to become a good, solid, orthodox Christian in the world. And the fact of the matter is that that's probably a smaller portion of the big picture. A bigger portion of the picture is that if we live our life interacting with our children in a godlike way, they will grow up to be godly people. But we put so much emphasis on having the right answer to the questions or knowing our faith so well as if we have to have a theological degree that we freeze and then we get frustrated and we're not interacting in a godly way. Christ doesn't ask us to just memorize and know what his teachings are. He wants those teachings to become incarnated in our lives so that we become walking scripture in a sense. And the interactions that we have with our children teaching them the way of Christ by the way that we live our own life. And how we live our life in the midst of our children will have a far greater impact on their lives than what we teach them in terms of reading, including Scripture. Because we can talk about the love of Christ, but doing just those two things, talking about it and sharing with them the teachings of the faith, simply won't do. There's a, a quote that I wanted to share with you from St. Paisius of the Holy Mountain, who obviously was not a parent. Uh, he was a monastic, but he spoke enough with parents, and he was in society enough to see what was going on as he witnessed the interactions between parents and children. And parents would come to him, and they would be so concerned that their children would stray from the path, and they would lose their salvation. <laughs> And so in in this sort of panic, uh, anxious way, parents began to force their children to fast, force their children to read the scripture, force their children. This was their way. They were so concerned that their children would be lost that they weren't actually loving their kids in the process. And I'm not saying it has to be an either or. I'm just simply saying this is something that he witnessed. And he says the following. A child needs a lot of love and affection and much guidance. A child needs you to sit by his or her side. Listen to his or her problems and caress him and kiss him. He didn't say anything in there about a child needs you to sit and preach the gospel and read the scripture and have them memorize everything you're saying and fast strictly to all the laws and teachings of the church. He says, this is where, this is where the greatest impact is going to be. If a mother takes an upset, he continues, and mischievous child into her arms to caress and kiss, the child will calm down. If the child is filled with affection and love, 
Later, that child will be strong and able to face the problems of life. However, today, he says, most children get to see their parents for just a little bit at night and they don't get enough parental love. That's powerful. That, to me, is also very convicting. Sometimes I think that our priorities are a little bit skewed when it comes to our concerns for our children and their upbringing in life. It was interesting, this past weekend I was in uh, Riverside, California and asked to give a talk at an uh, annual symposium hosted by Father Irene Steenberg, who is the director of the Saints Athanasius and Cyril Academy in San Francisco. And I, along with three others, spoke on the topic of family. And Father Josiah spoke on the what he called the domestic typicon. Now, a typicon is is a uh, is is a sort of the ordering and the structuring of services and way of life in a monastic community. Uh, every monastery has their own typicon in terms of when they eat, where they eat, uh, their prayer time, how long, when they're in church, what the church services are composed of, uh, work schedules, sleep schedules. I mean, it's everything. Okay, and this is why uh, many of the monasteries uh, that, that uh, we, we stumble onto or we visit uh, seem to be so functioning so, so smoothly. And Father Josiah was talking about the need for a domestic or a home typicon. Now, before you get excited about that and say, yes, that's just what I needed, a list of things to do, A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, kids, let's plug in and we will be saved. That's not the idea here, okay, because that's kind of where we want to go. We want to know, how do I make it happen? How, how, how can I get my kids to obey? That's another story. <laughs> what he's talking about, though, is to have some structure, some consistency, when it comes to our way of life, not just in terms of daily way of life in our homes, but also in terms of how we bring the church into our home and how we make the church a part of our life in a very loving, compassionate way, though, not in a dictator way. And he described to us the prayer rule of his youngest daughter, who is, what, two. And I can tell you it consisted probably of about... Ten words total. And that was her rule of prayer. And they rejoiced when she did it. And it took her probably all of five seconds. That was her rule of prayer. And she loved it. And she was able to maintain consistency, and does maintain consistency, because of that. But it brings order. It brings order. And it also brings, uh, it brings a lot of grace. This is something that, as parents, that we can think about as well, is how we structure and order our daily life, even within our homes, to create an atmosphere and an environment of love and gentleness and peace and compassion. Not of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. In fact, in another place, and I I don't have it with me, the quote, but St. Paisus of the Holy Mountain talks about how much damage we do to our children as parents when they hear the word do not or don't or whatever the, the negations are constantly in their life. Stop this. Don't do this. Go here. Be quiet. Sit down. Eat. Drink. Go to bed. Brush your teeth. These, these commandments constantly. And if that is what they're hearing constantly, that's the relationship that we're building up with them ultimately. 
So we have to help fortify our children, just as God fortifies the church that he has uh, done over the centuries, from the ecumenical councils to the local synods, to the local parish, to even our families as well. And we need to fortify our children through love and instruction and through living the life we want them to live. We can never, ever expect our children to live a certain way that we are not ourselves living it is not only unfair, it's not, it's not, it, it is pharisaical. I must live the life that I want my children to live. I must set the example for them to follow. But for me to say, you need to do this, 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 and this, and I'm not doing it, then they're going to see right through it. If I tell my kids every night, you do the dishes, but I never step up to ever do the dishes, then I'm just telling them something that I want them to do, but I'm not showing them that I'm willing to do it as well. I'm not willing to walk alongside them. And I want to end with a quote from St. John Chrysostom, so hold on to your seats, because you know he never mixed words. And I read this to you in love. (laughs) He says, Having children is a matter of nature, but raising them and educating them in the virtues is a matter of mind and will. I am speaking of educating children's hearts in virtue and piety, a sacred duty which cannot be transgressed. It is the very crude inattentiveness of parents that is responsible for all the disorder that causes our society to groan. Attentively watch the deeds of your children, their acquaintances, and their attachments. And do not expect any mercy from God if you do not fulfill your duty. I don't see this as a threat as much as a, as a very sobering statement. But people, we have a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to impact the lives of the children in our family and of this community and literally even outside of this community and this society. But we have to first pick up our pace. And we have to engage in a very, very personal, committed, daily relationship with our Lord. Not as a form of a, of a rule, but out of a desire of our heart to really connect with the living God. Because when that becomes real to us, it will become real to our children. And that's how we will parent them. Amen.